Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one. This is Lexi Austin, and this is The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations of the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come, Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you would like to follow along, you can find this curriculum at comefollowme.lds.org. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 13, March 25th through 31st, Matthew 14 and 15, Mark 6 and 7, and John 5 and 6. Be not afraid. And I am so excited about this episode because it talks about fear and overcoming fear through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is something I am very passionate about. Um, I've got some really great stuff for you. I've got a really great interview with a friend. So I am really excited about this episode this week. Um, I want to give a couple of shout outs to um, some, I have had some new states pop up on my stats. In fact, I have someone listening in every single state in the United States except for Nebraska and South Dakota, Arkansas, and Louisiana. So if anyone knows of anyone in Nebraska, South Dakota, Arkansas, or Louisiana, tell them that they need to listen to The Savior Said, because then I can collect all 50 states. Yay! Um, I was especially excited to see Indiana actually popped up in my stats this week. I've got about 20 listeners in Indiana, and that was really exciting for me, because actually my father was born and raised in Indiana. He's from a little town near South Bend called Plymouth, and my parents both went to Purdue. That's where they met, and got married and everything, and so Indiana has a special place in my heart, so, you know, hey, Indiana, I'm excited to, that, you know, you joined us this week. All right, getting back to the subject at hand. So we're going to start off with our summary. Okay, Matthew 14. John the Baptist makes Herod really mad. Herod puts him in jail. The daughter of Herodias, Herodias, I don't know. We're going to figure out how to say that. I'm going to tell you later. Dances for him. He grants her a favor. She says, the head of John the Baptist is what I want for my favor. Herod is not very happy about this, but he gives it to her. Okay? The apostles go back. They tell Jesus. Jesus is, you know, obviously a little upset. And he departs. But he sees that a large crowd has followed him. They are really hungry. They don't have enough food. So then he takes five loaves and two fishes and tears it up into baskets, and he feeds the 5,000. Jesus goes up into the mountains to pray alone. He sends his disciples away in a ship. While the ship is on the sea, it gets tossed around. The disciples are afraid. You think they would have known better by now, but they do not. And Jesus walks out to them upon the water. The disciples are afraid. They think he's a ghost. And he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Right? Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking towards him on the water. And Peter's out in the water, and then he starts to get afraid because he sees, like, the clouds and the wind and everything, and he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches him and pulls him up. All right, then Jesus goes to Gennesaret, and many people seek him out. They touch the hem of his garment and are healed. So they start following the example of the lady with the issue of blood. Okay, Matthew 15. 
Okay, the Jesus and the Pharisees have words, right? Okay, they start kind of having a banter back and forth. It's not a friendly banter either. Um, and he calls the multitude around. He starts teaching them kind of while he's having this conversation with the, the Pharisees. And he teaches the multitude that true uncleanliness comes from our heart and minds, not necessarily from the dirt around us or the things that we eat. And also we get the whole quote about the blind leading the blind. Um, next up, a woman of Canaan, a Gentile, in another place that says she's Greek, I don't know, um, asks him to heal her daughter. And he tells her, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And he is amazed at her faith, and so he heals her daughter. All right, so he's healing people left and right in the multitude. He heals the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And then he feeds the multitude again. They're still hungry. This time it is a multitude of 4,000. Up next, Mark 6. It is very synoptic to Matthew 14, so we're going to skip the summary. Mark 7, very synoptic to Matthew 15, but there's an extra healing in there. John 5, healing at the pool of Bethesda. We have to starting off the chapter. Next up, Jesus is working on the Sabbath. And this makes the Pharisees really mad, like really mad, right? And they actually started talking about killing him again. In 18, they say, Therefore the Jews sought more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal to God. Okay, so that's, they're really, really, really not happy with him. So Jesus starts talking about taking the gospel to the dead. And we actually get a little snippet of the plan of salvation. It's really exciting to see. And then Jesus ends the chapter by saying that if the Jews truly believed the things that Moses taught, they would actually understand the things that Jesus taught because it's pretty much the same, like they're saying the same thing. All right, John 6. It's kind of synoptic to Matthew 14 and Mark 6. As Jesus is feeding the crowds, he's walking on the water. But then there's a little bit different stuff in there. Jesus teaches that the crowds that he is manna from heaven, he is the bread of life. Some of the disciples leave him because of some of the controversy surrounding him and his teachings. However, Simon Peter stays true, and he testifies of Christ, and he says in 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and we are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which is beautiful. So that's where I'm going to end my summary. Okay, so now I want to give you some of my thoughts this week as I've been thinking as I've been reading the scriptures. Um, So going in to Matthew 14, and we start out with the episode of, you know, John the Baptist being beheaded, which to me was so heartrending this week. Um, You know, I feel like over the last couple weeks as I've read the scriptures and we've done Come Follow Me and I've really gotten to know the people inside these stories with Christ, John the Baptist has always been one of my favorite because I love his humility. Um, Even as Christ was, you know, becoming more and more in the spotlight, John stepped away. He realized he had done his part and he had done his duty and was kind of stepping away. And he just, I think to me, just has a beautiful spirit. And so it was really sad to me to see John the Baptist beheaded for something so trivial as a silly little girl. I mean, just, it's just awful. Just the whole situation is awful. I did find out though that her name is Herodias. The daughter of Herodias sounds like odious, right? So odious Herodias. That is how you pronounce Herodias, by the way. So um, after the beheading of John the Baptist, you know, the disciples come out, they tell Jesus, and he's really kind of sad, right? And so this is when he kind of goes up to them to be alone, you know, because he is pretty much just, I think he's grieving for John the Baptist. He just needs some alone time. 
I think for Christ, he was probably just thronged about with people nonstop. Like, I don't think he ever had pretty much some downtime or alone time. And so we read in Matthew 14, When Jesus heard of it, the news of John the Baptist, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. But then when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And so Jesus is probably like, guys, like, can I not just get a moment alone? Think about like when you're in the bathroom, finally you've gotten some peace and quiet and your kids are pounding on the door and you're like, come on guys, just give me two seconds. I think Christ probably had a similar feeling, but he turns and he looks at the masses and it says, and Jesus went forth and he saw the great multitude and he was moved with compassion towards them and he healed their sick. So Christ's compassion was bigger than any impatience he might have felt or any disappointment he might have felt. He put his own grief aside to take care of the needs of others. And I think that's beautiful because, you know, yeah, he was grieving for John the Baptist, but he knew that, you know, in a short time he was going to see John again, um, whereas these people, he wasn't going to be with them you know, after a while. And so go ahead and spend this time with the people who are here and heal them and take care of them and help build their testimonies of him while he's there. And he can hang out with John the Baptist a little bit later. That was a really beautiful example to me of putting aside whenever I'm worried about something or grieving or sad about something, putting that aside to help others. And I'm not saying to put it over taking care of yourself. I think self-care is very important. I also am a firm believer that if you are drowning, you can't help save somebody else that is drowning. So make sure that you take care of yourself first too. Um, I think self-care is important again, but there are times where I think we can put aside whatever load that we are carrying and reach out and help somebody else. And maybe we're reaching out and helping somebody else who's carrying the same load and, you know, holding hands, we can both hold those loads up a little bit easier together. I don't know. It was, it was a nice little moment for me to realize I need to look outside myself when I'm feeling those moments. And then we go into the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm not going to go into that very much because we talk about it and come follow me. So I'm not really going to go into it a whole lot here. We'll go into it more there. But um, after that, Jesus sends his disciples off on a ship. This is in Matthew 14, 22. He constrained his disciples to get into a ship and he told them to go before him onto the other side. And he sent the multitudes away. So finally he gets his alone time to go talk to his father in heaven. And he goes into the mountain to pray. And so while he's up in the mountain, disciples, they're out on a ship in the middle of the sea. And it's getting tossed about back and forth. And there's a storm and the winds are blowing and they're all really scared. And, you know, part of me thinks like, guys, come on, like he's calmed the seas before. Like, why are you so worried? He can totally help you with this. But then I also think about myself. How many times have I really freaked out and been like, Oh, Heavenly Father, this is really awful. I need you to help fix it. Oh, Heavenly Father, this is going on and I just don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, Heavenly Father, I need help with this. And I ask for the same things like over and over and over again. And I worry about the same stuff over and over and over again, even though he takes care of me every single time when a similar situation pops up again. Oh yeah, there I am back again. Like, ah! so yeah, I kind of get where the disciples are coming from because it's easy for me to judge them for being like, guys, come on, where's your faith? Like he did this before, but I can see how in the moment, yeah, you, our memories, I think are really short sometimes to forget what God has done. So that's why it's good to keep seeing his tender mercies in our life. But the thing I think is interesting to me about this is that Christ is up on the mountain and he's praying and he's talking to his father and he's taking his moment alone. And so he can look down 
and kind of see what's going on in the seas. Now, if Christ had thought about it for even a moment, he could have just snapped his fingers and the storm would have ceased and the waves would have calmed and the disciples would have been all right. But he didn't do that. All right. He got down off of the mountain, walked down, and he saw where his disciples were upset and where they were afraid and they were crying for him. And he walked out on water to get to them. So I want you to think about where in your life are you crying and are you afraid and do you feel like you are caught in a storm? Because that is where Christ is walking out to you. And that's where he finds us. You know, he could, with a wave of his hand, make whatever storm or whatever is making us fearful go away. But he doesn't. He walks out to us instead and gives us that moment to see him and see his hand and see him calm the storm. And those are some of my favorite spiritual moments in my life where I get to see how Christ is working for my good. Because everything he does is for my good. And I know that. And so... I really enjoyed that this week and kind of getting that insight. Um, and then, of course, we have the instance of Peter walking on the water. And I love the story of Peter walking on the water. In fact, when I was a little girl, I was kind of obsessed with it. You know, ocean, it's my whole water thing. I love water. And so there were many afternoons I would spend at my neighbor's house up the street. They had a pool. And so we would go over to my neighbor's and we'd play with their kids and we'd all play in the pool and stuff like that. But there was like afternoon after afternoon. I remember as a little girl, I was like eight or nine, thinking that if I believed it hard enough, I would be able to walk on water. And so afternoon after afternoon, I'm like stepping off the side of the pool being like, okay, this is the time I'm going to walk on water. Splash, no. And then, okay, this is the time I'm going to walk on water. Heavenly Father, I know I can do it. I believe in you. I know I can. I believe I can walk on the water. Splash into the pool. And so a time after time after time in, you know, after a while I stopped trying and I was like, okay, whatever. This just isn't going to work. But I never lost faith in Peter. And I think looking back on it now, as an eight and nine year old, did I really need that miracle? Nah, I really didn't need that miracle. But I think there are times in my life where Christ is calling me to step off the boat and I step off the boat and he does allow me to walk on water or do whatever it is that needs to be done at that moment. And then there are times where I get fearful and I get afraid and I start sinking underneath the waves. There is a beautiful painting. I'll post it on the Facebook and on the blog. But it's... um. And the perspective is of someone underwater looking up and they're looking up and you can see like the waves and the bubbles over them. And you can see Christ bending down and extending his hand to the person who's under the water. And it's just a beautiful perspective of, you know, when we're in those storms of our life, when we're underneath the waves and we feel like we are just can't go on, we can't take another breath. We are just so scared. That's when Christ reaches down and lifts us up. And so That, to me, was a beautiful testimony out of the scriptures this week. So I really enjoyed that. All right, next up, Matthew 15. So this is when Jesus and the Pharisees have words. (laughs) They, They kind of have a bone to pick with each other, all right? And so we see in Matthew 15 that this is just awesome. Jesus totally burns them, and I just love it. All right, so... The Pharisees come to him, and in two they say, Why did the why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Which, first of all, ew. Okay, guys, like, just go wash your hands. That's so gross. But anyways. And then three, Jesus answers back and says, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Right? Burn. Yeah, that left a mark. Okay. And so he continues in four. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. For he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. 
But ye say, this is five, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou might profitest by me. And so if we look back at the culture, what he's talking about there is that there was a, I don't know if it was a cultural norm or a rule or whatever, that, you know, children were responsible of taking care of their parents, okay? There, are, there was no retirement, like, there was no 401ks, there was no pension, like, I mean, no social security, like, the, the children were entirely responsible for taking care of their parents. And if they didn't do this, then their parents were in, like, a world of hurt, right? They can't work, maybe they're sick or whatever. If they don't have kids taking care of them, it's not good. But they had, again, I don't know if it's a law or a cultural thing, what it was, but they had a thing where you could say to your parents, well, the money I would spend taking care of you, I'm giving to the temple. So really, that is your gift. And so he's saying, you know, it is a gift and whatsoever that might profiteth by me, like whatsoever blessings I would get from giving this gift to the temple, you're going to get. But that does nothing for mom and dad who are sitting in the dirt, right? And so Jesus is saying, okay, so you guys are worried about my disciples not washing their hands, yet you are taking one of the, like one of the big 10 from God, honor thy father and thy mother. And you're literally like kicking your parents out because you're giving your money, like in quotation marks, to the temple. Really? Really, guys? Like, that's not okay. And so he's saying, ye hypocrites, right? This people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They say that they're following the laws, but in reality... No, they are evil and hollow inside. They, I mean, they're kicking their parents out into the street. I mean, that's just so sad. And then beyond that, they start plotting Jesus's death. Okay. And so they're literally talking about murder. These leaders of like the Jewish community want to murder Christ. So yeah, like <laughs> big transgressions of the laws of God. But hey, you know, we're going to go and be mad at what Jesus' disciples are doing before they eat. Jesus, basically, he tells them, you know, what goes into a man is not necessarily what is the sin. It's what comes out of him, like what comes out of his mouth and what comes in out of his heart. It reminds me of when I was in preschool, and I remember sitting there on the playground next to a little kid, and I remember this so vividly because it was such a moment of ew, but this little kid, he's eating the dirt, right? You're in preschool, right? You just do dumb stuff, and the little kid turns to me and says, God made dirt so it don't hurt. <laughs> and so I remember just thinking like, no, I'm pretty sure dirt does hurt. I'm not going to eat the dirt with you, even though God made it. So basically that's what Jesus is saying. You know, God made this earth and the stuff that goes into your mouth isn't going to hurt you nearly as bad as the stuff that comes out of it and the stuff that's in your brain and the stuff that's in your heart. So God made dirt. It don't hurt, but what comes out of your mouth does. Okay, that's that's what we're we're learning from this. Okay, all right. So the next couple of chapters are pretty synoptic. We pretty much covered a lot of the material in them, so we're gonna skip skip on over to John five, and we have the healing at the pool of Bethesda, and I love this healing so much. Now I was at BYU from um, two thousand to two thousand and four, and while I was there, I started out kind of as an English major, but I ended up in the humanities. We studied art, so I spent I spent a pretty good amount of time at the Museum of Art there at BYU, but in two 2001, they unveiled this beautiful painting. It's called Christ Healing the Sick at Bethesda. It's by Carl Block. And it's hanging there in the Museum of Art at BYU. I just love it so much. There are all these infirm people sitting around waiting to be healed by, you know, when the angel comes and troubles the water. And I've got a quote for you about that in a minute. But you also have Christ, and he is literally picking a blanket 
up off of this man who is sitting in the dark and he's reaching down to him. How many times in our life are we sitting in the dark, okay, um, of our lives, of our sin or of whatever we've got going on and Christ reaches down to us? I mean, I think that is like kind of the whole, I guess, theme I'm getting of this week is that Christ reaches us in the middle of our dark moments, okay? And we can read in John 5 the way that they describe some of the people who are laying there, the impotent folk. Okay, so impotent is an adjective they use, the blind, the halt, the withered. They were waiting for the moving of the water. All right, a certain man was there. He had an infirmity of 30 and 8 years, and Jesus saw him lie and knew he had been now a long time in that case, and he said, Wilt thou be made whole? So this is interesting to me too because it's a total turnaround from what we had with the leper a couple of episodes ago where he said, you know, Christ, I know thou can do this. Are you willing? And Jesus is actually turning to this person and saying, hey, I can do this. Are you willing to let me do this? How many times has Christ come to us and say, I can help you. Are you willing to let me help you? Are you willing to take my help? Because sometimes I think we don't. Sometimes I think we're like, nope, I'm going to try this on my own. And we crash and burn. And eventually we do come back to him. He's asking him, you know, will you accept my help? And Jesus says to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And then a little while, later we see where Christ comes to him in the temple and says, you know, behold, you are made whole, go and sin no more. So just a beautiful story. I love that story. Of course, I love all the stories of healings. They're just kind of my favorite. Now, something I want to add is, you know, we have all these people who are around this pool at Bethesda because they believe in the superstition that, you know, when an angel comes forth, they touch the waters and then whoever makes it into the pool first will be healed of whatever infirmity this is. And I think it's important to point out that you know, this is kind of false thinking. Um, in the New Testament seminary manual, Bruce R. McConkie has a really good quote about this. He says, no doubt the pool of Bethesda was a mineral spring whose waters had some curative vir- virtue or value. But any notion that an angel came down and troubled the waters so that the first person thereafter entering in would be healed was pure superstition. Healing miracles are not wrought in any such manner. So I do want to clarify that because, you know, the Jewish community at that time was very superstitious. They believed in magic. They believed in mysticism all that kind of stuff. And so this was kind of a superstition that they had or tradition that they had, but it's not how healings happen. And I think it's important to know that, you know, maybe from time to time, the springs underneath the pool or whatever, there was like a spring water kind of bubbled up and made it kind of disturb the water. And they jumped in and maybe there was minerals or something in there that helped their muscles feel better. You know, I don't know exactly how it all worked, but I think it's important, as Bruce R. McConkie says, healing miracles are not wrought in such manner. They are wrought by the touch of the master's hand, which is what we see when Christ reaches out to the man. Beautiful, beautiful stories. All right, next up. Okay, so we're over in John 6, and Christ has been testifying about his Father in heaven, and he's been talking about his own divine sonship and kind of telling them, like, hey, guys, I'm the Son of God, and kind of testifying, and... You know, people are murmuring amongst themselves saying, like, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Like, we know this kid. Like, how is it he say, I come down from heaven? Because we know his family. We know his parents. And so they're murmuring among themselves. And I think even he lost some of his disciples. You know, they started having trouble believing him, especially when he starts talking about the living bread and things like that. You know, in 53, he's saying them, Verily I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, who he's just said he is, and drink his blood, you have no life. Like, I know I would be like, wait, what? Like, 
this is some Ozzy Osbourne type stuff. Like, you're talking about eating flesh and drinking blood? Like, I think I am in the wrong crowd, right? And he even says, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And so... Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, uh, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Right? And I, I think I would be one of the ones being, like, questioning, like, okay, so uh, this is weird. He's talking about drinking blood. That's usually when we start taking steps backward and walking away. But, of course, we know he was talking about the sacrament. We know he was talking about the atonement. It just wasn't very clear to them, I think, at the time. And so some of them did leave. But Jesus turns unto the twelve and sixty-seven, and he says, Will ye also go away? And this beautiful, beautiful moment from Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter. He says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Beautiful. That's a great testimony. And I think any time that we do start doubting or we do see something where we're like, what? This is weird. You know, remember that question. To whom shall we go? Like, where would we go? This is the truth. Like, why would we walk away from it? And so that's something I think of. So anyways, those are just some of my thoughts this week. We are going to jump into Come Follow Me next. So Come Follow Me has some great stuff this week, and I've got a really awesome interview coming up. So hold tight. I want to tell you a few other things first, but we're going to get to it, I promise. So first up, Jesus Christ honors his Father. And it talks about the relationship between Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And the relationship between each one of us is meant to be sacred and beautiful. And Come Follow Me asks us to go into John 5 and read through the different verses and mark or note each instance that Christ says the word Father. And what does it tell us of our relationship between Him and our Heavenly Father? And I went in and I marked it. And within John 5... He says the word Father 15 times. I mean, that's pretty high, right? And so I started thinking, I'm like, what do I see in this relationship? And I think if I were to come back and look at this particular section in various times in my life, I think I would probably see different things. But this time, I saw the trust that the two have in each other. I saw the trust that, you know, Heavenly Father has in His Son to send His Son down to earth to do His, you know, will and to preach His gospel and provide the atonement for his children, the trust that he has in his son to come down and speak for him, and then also the trust that Jesus has in his heavenly father to say, hey, I'm down here talking on behalf of my father. And it was just a beautiful moment and relationship that I saw between the two of them. And it was very instructive to me because this week, and even I would say the last couple weeks, I've been walking around and I feel like sometimes, I don't know how to, how to convey this properly. I feel like sometimes I kind of have maybe like spiritual PTSD, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to minimize like the people who really do have PTSD. So, I mean, it's not anywhere near as serious as that. That's a serious, like serious term. I just don't know how to phrase it other than that. But after going through some like really hard stuff, when things go really good for a period of time, I'm kind of like looking around, like waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, um, I even told my mom, I was like, mom, like, I, I feel like I'm kind of thinking like, hey, life's going really good. Things are going pretty smooth. And I tell myself, oh, don't think that out loud. Heavenly Father's going to send something bad, you know, and it kind of scares me. Like I have a hard time, like it increases my anxiety when things are going good because I'm afraid something bad is on the horizon. It's kind of like when you have kids and silence is golden, except for when you have kids, 
right? And then silence is very suspicious. My little sister found this out a couple weeks ago. She lives in Arizona, and they had, like, a lot of rain. And she has two precious little boys. I love my nephews. They're so cute. But um, they've had a lot of rain, and she let the boys out into the backyard. And they were playing around in the backyard. And she was like, oh, good, I can finally get some work done. So she sat down, and she's got some work done. And um, she realized that they'd been really quiet for a while. And so she goes out into the backyard, and the two of them are literally head to toe covered in mud. They have finger painted in mud all up and down the glass doors of her kitchen. Um, and she said later, she's like, I don't even know what percentage of that was dog poo. <laughs> like they were just covered. So I feel sometimes like that. Like I feel like the absence of bad things is like means something bad is coming. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? I was talking to my mom about it, and she was like, yeah, you pretty much should just describe my life. I'm like, I'm constantly waiting for something to fall out of the sky and hit me. And so, as I'm reading this about Heavenly Father and Christ talking about their trust in each other, um, I guess the instructive message to me from my Heavenly Father as, as I was reading that was like, hey, trust me. Like, that's what he's saying to me. He's like, you know, I'm not always going to throw hard things at you. Like, you can have a good time. Like, this is just a plateau that you are on in your life right now. And you are where you need to be to help others. So, you know, keep lifting others up and keep helping out where you can. But, you know, and when those hard things come, trust me. I will be there and I will help you through them. And I'm like, okay, you know, yes, sir. That kind of thing. So that was that was very instructive to me this week. Um. Because like I said, I have lots of anxiety when things start going good because I'm like, oh, this means something bad's coming up, right? And um, just because I think my history of going through some hard stuff, but that was my thought this week. All right, next up, the Savior can magnify my humble offerings to accomplish his purposes. Have you ever felt inadequate to meet all the needs you see around you in your home, in your relationships, or in society? And Jesus' disciples must have felt inadequate when he asked them to feed over 5,000 hungry people right? With only the five loaves of bread and two fish. And so as you read about the miracle that happened next, ponder how God might use your humble offerings of service to bless those around you. And the biggest example I've ever seen of this in my life was, you know, I'm primary president in my ward and I'm just recently called, like I think it was this past summer that I was called, maybe like June or July. And I remember sitting in the room with my bishop and I knew he had called me in to give me some kind of calling. I didn't know what, you know, and things were really shaky at home with my husband and with how he felt about the church. I had just gotten over being, you know, chronically ill for so long and being, you know, here and there at church and it's not there some days because I wasn't feeling well and things like that. My health was improving. And so I was coming, getting, being able to come more regularly. And, um, so I just felt like I was kind of like on a shaky, shaky ground. And, um, my bishop's like, well, we'd like to extend a calling to you. This was no big surprise to me. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever, you know, throw it at me, throw it, (laughs) show me what you got. And he's like, we want you to be the primary president. And like, I literally like, oh, I just felt it again. (laughs) Just thinking back in this memory, I literally felt like someone had just punched me in the stomach, like just all the air out of me, like, because I felt so inadequate. Like I felt like, you know, five loaves and two little fishes in front of a crowd of 5,000. I'm like, why are you calling me? Like, do you know what I've got going on at home? Like, do you know what I've got going on health-wise? Do you know that? Like, I mean, kids are hard for me. Like, I am just, you know, I'm like, why me? I am a hot mess. Like, I am a hot 
mess. Like you do not understand. And I even told him, I'm like, no, 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 no. And he was like, well, just think about it. Just think about it. You know, kind of turn it over in your mind. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm walking out of the church. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, in the Lego movie, Batman's flopping around. No, 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 no. That's kind of what I had going on in my head. And then I get into my car and I'm like, but what if? I'm like, oh man. Now, now I'm going to start along that, that whole trail of like, what if I were to say yes? And I'm like, and then who would I call as my counselors? And I started thinking of some wonderful ladies. And I was like, well, I could do it if those wonderful ladies were to help me out. And my counselors are amazing, y'all. They are boss, like amazing. I was like, I can do it. I can do it if I've, if I've got them. And so before I even left the parking lot, I called the bishop and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. But I mean, just even that first Sunday, I'm like, oh my gosh, like e- to be a primary president or like young women's president or something. I mean, you've got to be like a pillar of the ward. Like you're a ward leader. And I did not feel like I was ward leader material. But I feel like as I have become primary president and kind of taken that mantle on me, that the Lord has kind of magnified some of my gifts um, and kind of made them, I don't know, necessarily bigger, but he's made them more efficient, I guess is a good way to say it. And um, he's given me a really, really big love for the kids. My dad, when I told him that I had been called his primary president, his first first response was, what, is the bishop crazy? I'm like, I know, right? That was my first response, too. Like, are you crazy? Like, why are you calling me? And I'm like, also, Dad, thank you for that vote of confidence. But he's like, no, 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 you just got stuff going on. I'm like, I know, but everybody's got stuff going on. But then the second thing my dad told me was, Christ always makes things possible. It doesn't mean that they're always going to be easy. And you may have times where this calling is not easy, but it will be possible. And that's something that I've always held on to. You know, I may be going through a good time right now, but when things are hard or when things are not going the way I, you know, I want them to go, I just always remember it's possible. It may not be easy, but it's possible. And so far in my calling, knock on wood again, I'm like, please don't let this, <laughs> don't let this change things. But so far in my calling, it's been okay. Like we've, we've done a really good job. I feel like we've got really good routine set down. I've got an amazing presidency that's backing me up and we're doing really good. I love the changes to the two hour schedule. I mean, we've, we've rolled, we've got some great primary teachers in there. They're amazing. Our chorister is like, uh, amazing. Knock you down. Amazing. She's awesome. And so I just really feel supported. But I think that's one of the ways that Christ has helped me kind of take my little five loaves of bread and my two little fishes, like my little offering that I brought to him. And he's helping me feed a whole group of kids every Sunday. So that's my story for that. But up next, this is the interview. I am so excited for you guys to hear. This is my friend Silvana. And Silvana is actually in my primary presidency with me. So again, awesome, awesome girl. Um, She's amazing. And I'd always wondered about her story because she wasn't born in the United States. She was born in Uruguay. I wish you could hear her say it because she says it beautifully. She says like Uruguay or I I can't even say it right. But I know that there's people from that country listening and I apologize for just butchering your country's name. Um, But she has the most beautiful accent, guys. So I can't wait for you to hear her talk because it's just gorgeous. But she's so humble 
and she's so sweet and just loving and Christ-like, and she is just willing to do anything that I ask her to. And so I knew that she had a story of like how she came from her country to the United States and some things that she had gone through. I knew she had lost her father when she was younger. And um, so I actually asked her to come talk about this next section, which is Jesus Christ invites me to set aside my fears and doubts and exercise faith in him. And so she's going to talk about some times in her life where she had to set aside her fears and doubt and exercise her faith in her father in heaven. I want to introduce you guys to my friend Silvana. Silvana, welcome to The Savior Said. Hey, thank you. We're so glad you're here. Um, and she's going to talk to you guys a little bit about casting aside fear, times in her life where she's cast aside fear to follow Jesus Christ. And so, Silvana, will you tell me about one of the times in your life where you feel like your faith in Jesus Christ has helped you overcome your fear. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, yeah, so I was thinking about moments in my life when I needed to rely on, on the Savior and trust Him. And, well, the first thought that came to my mind was when my dad passed away. I was um, 11 years old, and I learned my whole life that if you pray about something and you ask something from God, you're going to receive what you ask for. And, you know, as a living year old, my mind was like, oh, my dad is going to get healed if I pray about it. So I was praying and praying and praying that he was going to get healed. And then one day my mom came back from the hospital and told us, your dad passed away. So um, I remember feeling, I, I was feeling very confused. I feel a little bit of anger, but I wasn't really mad at my Heavenly Father. I was just confused. I was like, well, I pray about this. And um, it didn't happen. It didn't turn out the way I expected. And I remember getting that feeling for, for a while. And then I, as a family, we're praying every day, especially in those moments where we needed, you know, the Savior close to us. And I remember my mom being in peace and being, feeling so much peace in my house. We were feeling so much, an overwhelming feeling of peace. And, and I remember thinking... I need to rely on my Heavenly Father. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to hurt, but I think we're going to be okay. I get that feeling of, you know, everything is going to be okay, even though things didn't turn out the way I want them to, to turn out. And um, I remember since that moment in my life, I learned that lesson of relying, on, even though you don't know what's going to happen in the future and you see everything is dark because you don't see what's going to happen. Still, you have to trust in Heavenly Father and thinking that if everything, you do all the right things, I knew that I was sealed to my family. I was sealed to my dad and I was sealed to, to my family. So I knew that I was going to see him again. So that helped me a lot with things that were going to happen in my life that I didn't know at that moment. Um, and the second time I felt I had to rely on, on my Savior was when I immigrated to this country. I, when I was like around 15 years old, I received my patriarchal blessing without going into details or that personal uh, thing. But um, I have several things that told me my patriarchal blessing that uh, eventually the Lord was going to send me to other lands. And at the moment, I didn't understand uh, what that meant. And I thought, well, maybe I'm going to die and I'm going to, you know, go to the spiritual world or whatever because what other lands mean? And, you know, as I was growing up and then I came to visit uh, in this country and I met who's my husband right now, I understood that, you know, this is what I need to do, and this is what I, need. I feel very strong that I needed to do this. But I was very 
afraid. I was scared because it was、um, a new world to me, a new language, a new everything. So I decided to do this, and I emigrated, and we got married. And I felt a little bit of, I felt a little bit of anger in me because I was like, I felt like a baby. I needed to learn how to talk again. I needed to learn how to drive because, like, to walk as a baby because in my country, in the city I lived in. You know, I was taking buses all the time and like public transportation. You don't need to drive if you don't want to.、Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessary for me at that 20-year-old girl. And I needed to, in this country you have to drive because there is not, unless you live in like cities like New York City or places like that. But、um, so I remember feeling okay. I need to talk. I need to learn how to talk. I need to learn how to walk. I need to learn how to think. I mean, like all in a different way, in a different language, in a different culture. Even though this culture is not as different as mine,、uh, there's other cultures that are more different than each other. But still, there's new things for me. And I, I was feeling like, why do I need to learn all of this again? Why do I have to go through all of this? Kind of like a weird question, but I was wondering why. I was thankful that、um, you know I got married. I was so you know I am in love, and I was so. Happy to do all of this, but at the same time, I, you know, I didn't feel comfortable start all over again in a new country, and I didn't feel. There were several times in my life that I didn't feel quite that I fit in, and、uh, that's normal for a, you know, for a person from another country. And、um, and I remember like kneeling down, and the hardest part of immigrating was being away from my family, being away from all that I knew until that point in my life, and.、Um, I remember, you know, days of crying and kneeling down and praying and saying, "I know this is what you want me to do, but what do I? How do I do this? I need, like, I needed to know all the answers right now. I needed to know what am I doing here? Besides, you know, doing the right thing, like a mirror in the temple. But besides that, what? And I remember always feeling that the same kind of peace that I feel when my dad passed away, saying, like, leave it all in my hands. Like, I know what I'm doing, and I'm, you know." And you're gonna be fine. Just trust him. And I, when I was reading about、um, uh, the, when, when Jesus walked on water, you know, the apostle was not having faith at that moment. He was he was having faith at the beginning, but then he started to doubt. He was like, "Oh, I'm in the water. I'm gonna I'm gonna sink." And, and so at those moments, you feel like you're not gonna be able to do this. Like you start losing your faith. Is, is that a, a, a right way to say it? And、um, that's exactly I what I started thinking of when you're talking about this. You know, you're drowning in this new culture, right? Yes,、like、exactly. You're dropping into the waves of this new culture, and then Christ reached down, right, and gave you that peace. And that is so amazing. And yeah. How perfect is that? Yeah. So yeah, and and then you know, after took me years of praying and relying, literally relying on on my Savior, and you know, trusting Him, and everything is gonna work out, and everything is gonna be alright because. If I'm following what he wants me to do, it's the right way, you know. And then the last, the third time that I thought, you know, we all have in our lives several times that we have to rely on our savior. But these are like the biggest ones I remember in my life. And for my second child,、um, we have our first child, and then、um, this is kind of personal. But we had a, a first miscarriage, and then we have another miscarriage, and then we couldn't conceive. And、um, And I remember thinking, well, you know, I want to have more kids, but if it's not for me,、uh, and I remember praying, always asking me and my husband together praying, always asking, if it's not for us,、uh, let us know what we have to do. Like we were 
relying on, on, on him and, and saying, you know, just let us know what, what we need to do, what we need to learn from this. What is, what do you want us to do? And we were happy when we were parents. We had one kid without any problem. So, you know, that was one of the moments that I remember for years, for five years, we were praying and fasting and saying, at some point we're like, if it's not for us, it is okay. But at those moments is when you feel like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know what's, um, what the future holds for you. And, and you're just praying for something that, something that not everybody gets, but, oh, you know, parents have kids and we wanted to have more kids. And it was a hard moment for us to think going through those experiences of having miscarriages for us. And then, you know, trying to trust God and say, even though you don't know and just holding on. <laughs> and, just holding on. Yes. Even in the middle of those waves. Even in the middle of those waves. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I think Peter in the scriptures, he was, you know, just under the water for a few moments. But I feel like sometimes in our lives, and I think these experiences that you shared are perfect because they went on for a while, like yes. years, many of yeah. them. And so even though Peter was in the waves for just a few moments, I feel like we are in the waves for years. Yes. Sometimes it's our whole life. We're just yes. holding on and, and just waiting and trusting in God. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm so grateful that you have shared your testimony of that and just holding on and finding peace and finding direction in Christ. Yeah. Like that is awesome. Is there anything else that you want to add? Well, it, as I was thinking, like I said, these are the three moments in, that I was thinking about what can I share and these are the three moments in my life that I think I rely on on my Heavenly Father the most but it happens all the time in our lives it happens when when I don't know what's going to do next week what's going to happen with something and even when your kids are sick or when you are sick or or you know I'm far away from my family still and I don't know you know when I'm going to, if, if I never going to see them again someday, it's like, what if something happens? And I'm in the other side of the world. And, and so I always need to trust God and say, Hey, this is, you know, I'm doing what you want me to do and, and I'm trusting you. And it's part of life. <laughs> is guess. there anything that you do specifically to help you increase your trust in your Heavenly Father? What I do, well, pray. That's one of my biggest things. I always kneel down and pray and, and I always pour my, my soul and my heart. You know, I gave, I talked to him like, like he was right there. And I always tell him everything. And I talk to him sometimes like, you know how I am. You know my, my, my character, my personality. Why are you doing this? Kind of like I'm talking to him like he's my friend. So that helps me a lot. I don't feel like he's far away being that, you know, it's like, I feel like he's really close to me, especially in those moments when I need him the most is when I, you know, I talk to him like he's right there and he's my friend. All right, I want to thank Silvana for her interview for The Savior Said. Um, she gave a great testimony. I especially love what she said about talking to our Heavenly Father like he's our friend. Um, and I think, again, it goes so perfectly with our scripture reading this week. You know, Christ was reaching down to help Peter up, not only as his Lord and Savior, but also as his friend. He cared about Peter, and um, he allowed Peter to have that experience of walking on the water with him. So... Just beautiful. I just loved the scripture reading this week. I loved the Come Follow Me this week. And I am so grateful for this program. So I want to leave you guys with that. I hope you have an excellent week. Keep reading. And I will see you guys next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not reflective of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.lds.org. Content in the Savior Said podcast is copyright protected, all rights reserved. For more information, visit thesaviorsaid.blogspot.com or email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.